Thank you for tuning into the Apostolic Pentecostal Church podcast. You are currently listening to one of our iGrow series lessons. If you're in the Bloomington, Illinois area and want to sit in person, feel free to join us Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. for Bible study and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for worship in the Word. Can't make it in person? No big deal. Find us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram and search Apostolic Pentecostal Church. Either way, we'd love to fellowship and worship with you. We hope to see you. Tonight, in case you didn't know, we're talking about Daniel chapter 3. There are a few things we're going to cover, a few key points. Just want to point them out at the beginning, and you'll see them as we go through. Daniel chapter 3 points to the end times. We're going to see that. We're going to see some parallels throughout this chapter. Um, We are called to obey the law of man. Kind of sounds different, right? Usually we talk about obeying the law of God, which is the next point. We are also called to obey the law of the Lord. Next point, we have to get our minds made up. Is that right? Yep, get your mind made up. Last, God will turn our trial for good. All right, so before we dive into chapter 3, we're going to do a quick review of chapter 2. And who was here last week for chapter 2? It's a great lesson on chapter 2. We got King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Dream really bothered him. He wanted to interpret it. But he didn't want to tell people what the dream was because he didn't believe in all that voodoo stuff, right? He wanted to make sure that they he wanted to make sure that they really knew what they were doing. So Daniel ends up interpreting the dream, seeking wisdom from God. The dream was there was a statue, a head of gold, which represented Babylon, and then the rest of the statue was different metals representing the different kingdoms that would come after Babylon. Um, And lastly, this was good. The king liked it. He promoted Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Alright, so on to chapter 3. So now, we come to chapter 3. We don't know exactly how long it's been since the events of chapter 2, but scholars generally say it's been somewhere between 16 and 23 years. So who wants to who wants to be my readers thing? I need like three good readers. Mom, you're a good reader. Ebony, you want to help me out? <laughs> All right, who wants to read verse one? Go ahead, Mom. Oh, she's... Is that it? Yes. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold. His height was three square cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. And he set it up in the plain of Jorah in the province of Babylon. All right. So, a few years after the events of chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has set up a golden image. What did this image look like? 60 cubits by 6 cubits. To us, that means it's 90 feet by 9 feet. It's pretty tall. It's a pretty big statue. It was made entirely of gold. Uh, we don't know exactly how it looked. It may have been more... George Washington Monument. It may have been an exact replica of him. It may have been high up on a pedestal. We're not exactly sure. But what we do know, given his track record, is that this had a lot of craftsmanship. Not only was Nebuchadnezzar one of the greatest kings the world had ever seen, he was also a very accomplished builder. Uh, The Ishtar Gate and the um, Hanging Garden of Babylon were both on the original Seven Wonders of the Ancient World. And he built both of them. It's pretty crazy. The, uh, the Ishtar Gate had this blue glazed brick, these dragons and bulls and bronze all on it. The walls went for miles. The world had never seen anything like it at the time. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon, 
or this beautiful structure. It is just unbelievable. He built both. And if that guy built those things, imagine what his own image looked like. Okay, so we can imagine that it was beautiful. Um, next slide. It's easy to kind of see why he would do this. What, is this dream? what happened in this dream? The head of the statue was gold, representing his kingdom. And then his kingdom's gone, and it's the next kingdom, represented by the next metal. So what did he do? He built a statue entirely of gold to say, actually, no, my kingdom's going to rule forever. It's gold all the way down. So the other, um, so this, this shows, obviously, Nebuchadnezzar's pride. You know, he erected it entirely to show that his kingdom would reign forever. So we don't know whether this was entirely of gold, like pure gold, or if it was just gold plated. Obviously, if it was pure gold, that would be a lot of gold, right? That's a lot of gold. But who was Nebuchadnezzar? He was king of Babylon, king of the most powerful nation in the world. He had conquered the entire known world at that point. So, do you think he may have had some gold? You think he may have wanted his image to be all gold? Maybe. We don't exactly know. But something he had recently done was conquer the nation of Egypt, who had a lot of gold back then. Egypt. Guess what else Egypt had? They had big statues and images to their rulers, right? So it, it makes a lot of sense that maybe he was hanging out in Egypt and said, you know what? That's pretty cool. I want one of those. Um, and what else did they do? We talked about in, uh, the, in Avery's study, Babylon took the best from the lands, right? Brought them all back to Babylon. So you think maybe Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, that's the Sphinx, right? Who built that? You're coming with me. Come on, let's go. So, <clears throat> um, I thought that was really cool. The whole Egypt thing. Sorry, that's found out. I was like, that's really cool. Alright, God has already proven his power to Daniel in, by interpreting the dream in chapter 2, right? There was no way that wasn't a miracle from God. There's no way that God didn't give that to Daniel. So, sorry, I'm like tense. I'm not used to this. Give me a second. Alright, so why, why was he building this image to himself and putting, exalting himself over God at this point? Why didn't he remember the miracle that happened in chapter 2? So, we know that being man, we can fall away from God after miracles in our lives. How many people know someone that we know they experienced God? We know what God has done in their life, and they fall away. This is a great example. But also, another historical thing that I thought was really cool, Nebuchadnezzar had been busy since that dream was interpreted. Like we said, he was conquering the known world. Well, in that time, he conquered Jerusalem twice. So, he conquered it the first time when he got Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and brought him back to Babylon. He, he did it again later, and he captured their king. And then years later, he did it again, and he burned down the temple. Okay, what kind of God would, would let him burn down the temple? Of course, in his head, I defeated that God. Why do I need to be submitted to the God of the, the Israelites? The God of the Jews? I kicked his butt. You know, and his dream doesn't mean anything. It's my, my kingdom forever. 
All right, next verse. Who wants to read? Nathan, you read. Nebuchadnezzar, the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. Okay, so we see that word dedication. This word, translated from the, the scriptures, we truly can see the religious aspect of this ceremony. There was sacrifices, processions, there was feasts, along with music. So, one thing we know about Babylon and its conquest, they took the brightest and the best, right? They took the brightest and the best from all the lands and brought them back. They've had Egyptians, they had Jews, other nations. I don't know, I can't name them all, but they had conquered the whole known world. So, we can imagine in a nation like this, there may be some differences. There may be some strife. There may be some division. People that were maybe Jews first, and then Babylonians. Egyptians first, then Babylonians. And sometimes, that can cause some strife and division, right? So, if Nebuchadnezzar wanted to continue to rule his kingdom, and to keep a united empire, maybe he decided... It would be best to weld them together with some sort of united religion or national worship. If you want the masses to follow you, you want them to buy your product, you want to start a trend, one way that is successful today is the use of influencers. Now, Brother Grimaud, I know you like TikTok, right? <laughs> Instagram? Yeah? Yeah? So, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, all these things. There are, there are people called influencers. Companies pay them. Why? Because they have followers. Because they have influence on people. Because when kids see them wear this t-shirt, they say, I want that t-shirt because I want to be like them. I, they influence me. So, in, Amer in, in the world, influencer market has grown to $13.8 billion a year. Every year. Companies make $6.5 for every dollar they spend on influencer marketing. It works, right? So, maybe Nebuchadnezzar was a little ahead of the game. Maybe he knew if he could get the rulers of the land, got your princes with your ritzy, cool dress kids, that uh, for the young demographic, right? Probably not, that's probably not what princess means here, but still. And then governors, you have your political leaders, your captains, your military might, you have your counselors, your eloquent magicians, your intellectuals. You have your sheriffs, your local law enforcement with their badges, their cowboy hats. You have all the other rulers of the land all together. And he knew if he could get them to buy in, if he could get them to bow, they could influence the world. If he could get them to bow, it would be the rest of Babylon and then it would be the rest of the world. Whew. I gotta breathe more. Okay, <laughs> next slide, please. Jessica. Me? Yes. Oh. Then and Harold cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages. Next slide. That at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the and whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Okay, 
What's cool about this, we don't even know if people knew that this was a religious service. We don't even know if they had any idea this was going to happen. They all could have showed up and thinking, hey, food, party, dancing, going to hang out, get to see Joe, haven't seen him in a while. Guess what? Bow or die. Boom. Why would he have done this? Maybe he didn't want any loose ends. He wanted to make sure nobody skipped out. You know, he, did. He, was, he was king for a reason, right? He was a leader of the most powerful nation in the world for a reason. He had, he had a little bit, little bit going on up here. Alright, so he was ready to make everyone bow and worship his image, exalting himself, uniting the kingdom under his image. Needless to say, on the previous verse, <clears throat> this is quite the impressive orchestra. Right? Nebuchadnezzar spared no expense. I don't know about you guys, I love a good sack butt plan. Alright? Sack butt, sack butt's my jam. Okay? He wanted to create a scene... He wanted to create an epic moment, right? Like, you know when the, when the music swells and the sun's setting and you hit, there's a, those moments in life that, that, are just, that are just something, right? He wanted to create this scene, this moment, to pressure all these rulers to obey his command and to deify his image. He wasn't going to give them any excuse, right? Hey, they're going to want to bow. They got, we got shrimp. We got bacon. We got fruit. I got a sack butt playing. By the way, that's a trombone, basically, is what it is. Um, so he wanted no excuse for people to rebel. And if they did come up with a good reason, guess what? Well, then you're going to have to just burn in the fire trucks. So, okay, takes away that, right? Next slide, please. All right, I'll read this one. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So this is the outcome. This verse literally reads, when it says they fell down, it literally reads that as soon as they heard the music, they fell down. There was no hesitation at all, immediate obedience Nebuchadnezzar's command. So when we're not fully committed, these people weren't committed. These people were the world. When we're not fully committed to the ways of God, it's very easy for us to fall in line with the world. Amen? Yes. Amen. Okay. So here's where we're going to kind of split off and show a parallel with end time prophecy. Um, Revelation chapter 13 speaks of another image. And that people are going to have to bow down and worship to, or they will be put to death. This is referring to the, this verse is referring to the false prophet, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, and the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Y'all see that parallel there? That's interesting. Okay. Also, we read the warning that of the, the, whoever worships, what's going to happen to the people that worship the beast? Chapter 14, verse 11. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest day and night, those who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. I don't know about you guys, but the day where we're pressured to put a chip in our skin, they all that and have that pressure put on us, that seems a little closer than it did yesterday, right? Yeah. yeah. So what do we have to do? It's our job to search the scriptures, right? 
search the scriptures, find guidance, direction, and an example to follow in those times. Well, we should look at the parallel chapter, right? We should see what happens here. The end time seems scary. Does anybody remember Left Behind? Oh yeah. oh, yeah? Yeah, that terrified me when I was a kid. Okay, so are we supposed to be afraid? No. No. What are we supposed to do? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. This is one of my favorite verses. It's not on here. Oh, it is. This is one of my favorite verses. I quote it all the time in my quizzes. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. And one just explains itself, right? I love that verse. When I got a little quizzers, they were terrified to hit the buzzer. I just quote that verse. They got no, no comeback. If you're scared, it's not from God. And then Christ said in Matthew, Do not fear those who kill the body and are unable to kill the soul, but fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Alright, so does that, does that seem pretty clear what we're supposed to do? Okay, let's see if that's how it plays out here. The end times are coming, and we had to be ready. So what can we learn from this chapter? We already know from the previous chapter, chapter 2, that among these elites that are called to the plains of Dura to worship the statue is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right? They had been promoted into the elites of the land. We can infer to this point that the Jews had had a lot of indoctrination. Right? They were indoctrinated to be Babylonians. It does not mean Jews anymore. But we can also infer that they probably hadn't had persecution for their religion. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't be in the elites. Right? They hadn't been persecuted. They'd only been indoctrinated. So this was probably a little new to them. And so while the city was full of rulers, everybody's wearing their nicest suits. Everybody's shoes are shined. Everybody's excited. Spirits are high. These three were probably not sharing the excitement, right? And while they knew what the king of Babylon expected, they also knew what their God expected. They knew who they were supposed to fear, right? They're not supposed to fear man. They're supposed to fear God. They knew a ruler that was invisible to human eyes, and they feared him a lot more than they feared Nebuchadnezzar. All right, next verse. Brother Grimaud, you want to go for it? Sure. 3-8. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. All right, so here's the tattletales, right? Here's the guys that have been climbing the corporate ladder. And they're the backbiters. They're looking for any opportunity to take these guys down. Why? Because God had exalted them. Right? God had, God had surpassed them over the Chaldeans. And they were looking for anything. And that's a whole message in itself. I just wanted to point it out. Alright, next verse. Verse 9, Brother Gamon. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. One more? Or actually three more. Thou, O king, hast made it. Made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackblood, psaltery, and the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship in the golden image. Go ahead and go to 12, please. 12. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. Read 11 and 12. I'm so sorry. Okay. And whoso falleth not down and worship, that he should be cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews who now have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So they come, 
prance over. They repeat everything that he said in case you forgot. So, by the way, you said this, this, and this, and this. So you have to be held, held accountable to yourself. These three didn't do it. So here's the point we, we just found out. Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach, and Abednego disobeyed the king. This was not a spontaneous decision. Y'all think it was spontaneous? No. They had made up their minds a long time before this, right? When there's no decision to make, life can be a lot easier, right? When you make your mind up, that kind of takes the decision out of it, right? Are you going to live for God or are you going to bow? If you already make that decision, there is no decision to make. Please notice, they didn't start a protest. You didn't hear, hey, hey, forget you, Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> we won't bow. We won't bow. We, yeah, okay. Yeah, I say don't. You say bow. Don't. Don't. Now, did, did they do that? No. What did they do? They probably handled this situation just like they did every other situation with grace with humility and with respect. Even when they disagreed vehemently and they knew what was commanded and was wrong. They didn't they didn't go crazy. They didn't they didn't get on Facebook in all caps. Right? <clears throat> so what are we supposed to do when we don't like the rules of our life? God's people are called to obey the civil authorities and to not rebel against them. Romans chapter 13. Who wants to read this? Sister Ellen, you want to read it? Sure. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by, by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. Alright. The rulers of the land, God ordained them. It's pretty clear, right? No argument? Any rebuttal? Brother Gamar? Nothing? Okay. Next, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Jessica, will you read this, please? I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Godliness and dignity. Does that sound like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? It does. I want to tell a cool story. So my dad ran the uh, training center program at, at POA for many, many, many years. There, there would be young men from across the nation that would come to our church to be trained in ministry for 12 to 13 weeks, something like that. And there was one time where I was always excited to meet them all, right? There's all these cool guys from all over. And I was, I was quite young. And these were kind of like my big brothers for a couple months. And we come into the dorm, and I see this... Thing set up with a bunch of pictures on it, and in the middle of it was this huge picture of Barack Obama. It big, and we're in Louisiana. Okay, not very many people were huge, were huge liberal Democrats. It just wasn't, it just wasn't very common. It's a pretty conservative state, and there were just weren't a lot of huge supporters of Obama. I was like, oh, that is a gigantic picture of Obama. That's not normal. Okay, like this guy must really like Obama. All right, that's fine. Okay, well, come to find out, he wasn't a particular fan of Obama. You know what he was doing? He was praying for his president every day. 
didn't even care if he really supported him or not. He prayed for him every day. All right. Does that sound like what that verse says? It does. Does it say we had to agree with our leaders to pray for him? It doesn't. All right. Next. First Peter chapter 2. Who wants to read? You want to read? Thank you. Okay, so we see through these, through these passages, it's pretty blatant, right? God has appointed the rulers of our land. He's given the power to, and authority to rule over us. We are commanded to obey the law of man, right? Everybody agree? However, there is no command in Scripture to obey civil authorities if and when they require us to violate God's commands or to worship anything aside from the God of heaven. So what did the apostles say? Let's go to Acts chapter 4. Mom, I know you like this. Will you read it? And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. All right, so they're preaching. They're preaching the gospel, and they're commanded not to. What did they say? We can't do that. we got to preach it. We're going to go against your command because we have to preach the, preach the gospel, right? All right, Acts chapter 5. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you? That ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Amen. Right? Alright, so there it is. They're preaching the gospel, they're commanding not to. What do they say? Sorry. Okay. So, now we know. We're supposed to obey the law of men. We're supposed to respect authority on this earth. Right? Until it comes in conflict with the word of God. Now the trick is, and this is the trick, discerning between what we don't like and what goes against the word of God. Because there's kind of a gray line, right? And that's why we had to search the scripture and we had to truly figure out anything that we want to rebel against in this school. We're pretty naturally rebellious, right? Fallen man. We have to weigh it very precisely against the scriptures. All right, Brother Grandma? Okay. Next slide. We're going to verse 13 in Daniel chapter 3. Christina, you want to read it? You, you're loud. Come on. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, command, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true? O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, now, if you be ready, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, blue, harp, sacra, and sultry, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if you worship not, 
he shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fury fire. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? That was good. Everybody give her a hand. That was how you're supposed to read the Bible. That was good. Thank you, Christina. You tell you're a teacher. You read at school, don't you? All right. So, <clears throat> I can imagine that the king was a little embarrassed, right? He got shrimp and lobster and bacon and everything. He had the sack butt plan. Okay? He did everything. All right, he had it all set up. And these guys were, were ruining the vibe. That's what the young kids say nowadays, you know? They were, they were ruining the vibe. We had a thing going here. Uh, he wanted to make it clear. He wanted to just clear all this up and move on with the dedication ceremonies. He was ready to get back to the party, probably, right? Like, hey, guys, probably a little fatherly, little, you know, scolding tone. Hey, guys, come on. Let's get this over with. Just go ahead. Just want you. To, I'll give you another. Just go ahead and bow, and then we'll we'll, we'll get back to the we'll get back to the, the shrimp. Um, one thing that we can see through this chapter, there's there's probably a good reason that Nebuchadnezzar was the king. I mean, like we said, he was an adult. He wasn't wasn't a dummy. He's probably had some leadership skills, right? Did he immediately throw them in the fiery furnace upon hearing a second-hand account from the Chaldeans who were their corporate competition? No. No. What did he do? He went to the source to confirm. Even in his anger, it said he was angry. It said he was in a rage. He still went and talked to them, still went to confirm, and took the time to find the truth. But in verse, but in verse 15, we see the pride and the arrogance, see, arrogancy of the king. Who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Whew. Whew. He's going to find out, I think. Once again, we see Nebuchadnezzar place his authority over God's. You know that dream he had? God's, God's prophecy to him? What did he do? He said, ah, move that out of the way. Me. My image. Right? He had placed himself over the will of God. So, in this moment, the three guys... Rack, Shack, and Benny, as Avery lovingly called them, they have two options, bow or die. Obey man's law or obey the higher law of the Lord. Give in to peer pressure, take the easy way out, or stand up for your beliefs. So, was there any decision to make? No. No, why not? They had already made it. They made up their minds a long time ago. They were going to live for God, even if it killed them. Right. Whew. All right. <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer in this matter. Whew. Y'all know what that means? What courage. They looked in the eyes of the most powerful man on earth. He, had, he ruled the known world. He had conquered their own kingdom. They were facing the threat of death. And they said, we don't even need to give you an answer. Like We, we don't even need to defend ourselves. You're coming into conflict with the, our, the law of our God. We don't, even, we don't even have to give you an answer. Your authority is meaningless when it comes into conflict with God. No hesitation when, truly, when, when choosing who is truly in charge. Their mind was made up. All right, next verse. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, 
and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. So they are the only, only three people out of, that stood up out of the thousands that bowed, right? They were probably scoffed at. They're probably made fun of. It's like, hey, guys, just like tie your shoe. Just like, just spend, you know, just, just take a nap. Just lay down. Just what are you doing? Another thing through all this, where's Daniel? Have we heard about Daniel this whole chapter? He's not mentioned this entire chapter. Who is Daniel to them? Daniel was their leader. He was a person. He was like their big brother. He was their mentor. They followed him, right? He is not anywhere to be found. I don't know where he was. I don't know if he was hiding behind Nebuchadnezzar. Probably not. I don't know if he was a... I don't know if he did. Maybe he was eating the shrimp. I don't know. Maybe he was a sackbut player. I have no idea. But he's not mentioned at all. Most likely, people believe that he was off and about. He was high and mighty in the kingdom. He may not even been required to bow because he, you know, because um, because of the, the level of his office. But the point is, through all of this facing the king, they did this without their leader. They had to stand up, to step up, without the person that they looked up to. And there's not a hint of fear as they tell the king. With utmost confidence that their God will deliver them. Rebutting the most powerful, I can't say it enough, the most powerful man in the world to his face. Remember, they're saying this to the king, that invaded their home three times. First time taking them, literally taking them from their home to Babylon. The second time, capturing their king. In chess, you lose when that happens. Okay, usually the game's over. And then they went again the third time. And he burned down the temple. He burned down the temple of God and ransacked the complete, the complete city of Jerusalem. So that's the guy that they're looking at and saying, our guys, guys, we're not, we're not even worried about you. Plenty of time to give you an answer. On top of all that, by the way, he told him he's going to burn them alive. On top of all that. So like we covered, these three knew who really has the authority in this matter. They understand that the command of the king comes in conflict with the commandment of God. Who will deliver us? Our God will deliver us from your hand. That is faith, right? Yes. Okay, you want to know what's next level faith? The next verse is my favorite verse. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Whew. But if not, this is the true showing of faith. Even if God doesn't save us, even if we burn to a crisp, we're going to trust him. Even if we suffer terribly, we know that we're in God's hand. We know that we're in his will. They were not living for the cares of this world. They were living for the kingdom of God and they had turned over their lives to him. I don't sing. You know that song we all sing it? My life is not my own. To you I belong. Yeah, what does that say? My life doesn't belong to me. My life belongs to God. Right? right? Are, you, are we willing to just give it up? If he's ready to take us. They were ready. If he takes us, but if he's not going to save us, oh well. My life's not my own. My life belongs to him. We sing that song, but are we willing to stand up for God's commandment? Looking death in the face. Whew. 
Job chapter 13, verse 15. Now, everybody knows Job, right? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Though he's killing me, I'm still going to trust my God. Like Job, these Hebrews were willing to face physical death in the event that their God, in his infinite wisdom and knowledge, chose not to deliver their physical bodies from the fiery furnace. Do you think that Shadrach struggled with the little issues? Do you think he compromised in his prayer life? Do you think he skipped service to go play golf? Where do you think he was on Super Bowl Sunday? (laughs) But was probably in the pew, right? He probably fasted that day too. All right? If we want to be prepared for the big moment, we want to be prepared for the moment that the king says, bow. Do you think that... uh, do you think that we need to be faithful in all aspects of our lives? Do you think that do you think that Chadrack, Meshach, and Benio were unfaithful? They were faithful in the little things. They were faithful in the medium things. And they were faithful in the big things. We can't just decide spontaneously, oh, now that the king is going to make us bow and he's starting to burn us, now I'm going to live for God. Right? It's not the way it works. Verse 19. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury. Whew, when I see Fury, I think of mom getting loved the broomstick back in the day. <laughs> That's not true. That's not true. That's not true. I'm thinking. Nebuchadnezzar had nothing on mom. Alright. And the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. That's hot. To me, it would have made more sense to lower the temperature. Just mine. The way mine, you just let them roast a little bit if you want them to suffer. That's just, that's just the way my brain works. But we know that by raising the temperature, the miracle is going to be that much greater. Right? Yeah. Amen. All right, verse 20. Uh, is this how you read it? I need to breathe. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Shadrach Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. The most mighty men in the king's army. This is SEAL Team 6, okay? This is Dwayne the Rock Johnson. These guys had a cigar in their mouth. They probably had cool beards. They probably had tattoos. These guys were the real deal. All right? They look like Nathan. Okay. With a beard. All right, next slide, verse 21. Sister Ellen, please. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Right, verse 22. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent, and the furnace exceeding hot, the flames of the fire slew those men that took up, took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And one more, please. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. So, I don't know how hot it has to be to kill Dwayne the Rock Johnson <laughs> with a beard, okay? But the fire was hot, okay? They, they, they say they, these furnaces, they just added more fuel. That was the only way for them to get it hotter. They just added all this fuel to get it so hot that they couldn't even get close enough to throw them in. So now we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're bound up. They're bound up, fully clothed, in the middle of the fire that's so hot that these brutish men couldn't even get close to it. Verse 24. I'll read it. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste 
and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men down into the midst of the fire? We all know this part, right? And they answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they had no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Everybody remember the song from Sunday school? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. I made it up. You made it up? <laughs> oh, man. I made up the best song for this chapter. I'm not going to sing it anymore. You know, that's true. It's a great song. That's how I knew about this chapter. Okay. Um, so we don't know for sure. This is really cool, guys. We don't know for sure, but there are translations that lead us to believe that what caught Nebuchadnezzar's attention was the sound of singing. You can imagine he had a smug look on his face. He was walking away, ready to get back to the party, right? And he heard singing, praises being lifted up to God. Just like Paul and Silas were singing in prison, the three Hebrew boys may, I mean, we don't know for sure, they may, it makes a lot of sense to me, though. They, they may have been singing in the presence of the Lord while walking through the fire. And so, the king doesn't see three, he sees four. And the fourth, he says, looks like the Son of God. We don't know if it was Jesus, we don't know if it was an angel for sure, but what we do know is God was with them, right? The king said, I see four men loose. Loose. What happened during this trial? They were loosed. From their bondage. Sometimes. God will allow us to go through a fiery tribulation. To free us. From our bonds. We have to submit. And we have to trust God. And walk through that fire with him. If we're going to be loosed from our bondage. That's why that they were set free right? Because they were submitted. Minds made up. There are three different scenarios. When people of God face a fiery trial. And they all affect our faith differently. We can be delivered from the fire. God could have, Daniel could have swooped in and be like, oh, hey, king, I got this. And just kind of put his arm around him and walked him out, right? God could have saved him from the fire. And that happens sometimes, right? Everybody had a miracle in their life where God saved them right. from a trial. Okay, then our faith is built. That builds faith in us. We can be delivered through the fire. You know, we're going to go through trials. We're going to go through fire, and God can protect us through those trials. And in that, in those, our faith is refined. Our faith is uh, perfected. Our faith is restored. We can be delivered by the fire. And then our faith is perfected. Your trial can deliver you from what's holding you down. And sometimes that's why we go through it. How many, I know I have. How many people have been, have been delivered by fire? How many people? Well, you don't have to raise your hands. Don't raise your hands. If you haven't, you probably will one day. That's all I'm going to say. I think everybody will go through it eventually if we live long enough in the Lord's days. Right, Brother Grimaldi goes. Question. Did God only show up when they were thrown into the fiery furnace? No. No. He'd been with them the entire time. When they were in Jerusalem. When they were captured. When they had to go to Babylon. When they were taken into captivity. When they were to be killed. And then Daniel interpreted the dream and saved them. When they were on the plains of Dura. And stood up for God's law. When they looked the king in the face. With all the faith the three men could possibly have. And they said, but 
if not. God was with them that whole time when he showed up. And the fiery furnaces delivered them through the fire and by the fire. Verse 26 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. What did they do? They obeyed the commandment of man. There we go. <laughs> then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth out of the midst of the fire. They probably wanted to stay in there a little longer. Yeah. <laughs> probably, right? Getting to hang out with, with God, with the angels, singing praises. They were walking around. They weren't sitting or laying down. They were, they were probably having a good time. So this is where Nebuchadnezzar realizes the miracle that he has witnessed. He refers to God as the most high God. It's kind of calling back to the end of chapter 2 a little bit, right? This is quite the shift from who can deliver you out of my hand. It's a little different, right? He started to learn a few things about God, right? But there's a little bit of a difference from knowing about God and knowing God. We can go to Sunday school and learn about God, right? But that means we know God? No. No. In order to be faithful and committed, do we have to know God? Yes. Okay, did Nebuchadnezzar know God? He knew about God. We're going to see, we're going to learn a lot more about Nebuchadnezzar next week. Come on back. Avery's preaching on, uh, preaching, teaching on chapter 4. He might preach a little bit. I don't know. And we're going to, we're going to, we're going to dive more into that topic right there. Verse 27. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was an hair of their head singed, neither was their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Alright, so who believes that? Everybody here believes that? Yes. Everybody believes that happened? Yes. Well, if you don't, do you believe in the beginning? I believe everyone in here does. But if you don't, if you believe in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everybody believes that? Mm -hmm. Well, if he did that, he can do this. That's right. right? Amen. God, in his incredible faithfulness, had once again saved his people in a dramatic and mighty way. God loves a little drama sometimes, right? The God of the Hebrews made a public display. People were there. The counselors were there. Everybody was there. It wasn't just the king. And... In front of the mightiest king in the world and all of his officials. And they didn't even smell like smoke. I can walk by Rosie's pub and I smell like smoke. <laughs> they had complete deliverance. Complete. That, that's how you know it's complete deliverance. They didn't even smell like smoke. Why? Because they were thoroughly submitted to the power and the will of God. Now, we can go through a trial and God can protect us and we can still smell like smoke. It can still linger with us, right? We need that complete deliverance. Okay, we're going to go back real quick to the, to, Re to the parallel with Revelation. This is really cool. This whole account illustrates a sort of a type of the future of Israel during the Great Tribulation. Nebuchadnezzar is like the Antichrist, who forces the whole world into one religion of idolatry. Nebuchadnezzar's image is like the image described in Revelation chapter 13, that the whole world is commanded to worship. The fiery furnace is like the Great Tribulation, which will be a great affliction for the Jews. The three Hebrew men are like Israel, who will be preserved through that tribulation. The executioners who perished are like those in league with the Antichrist, 
who Jesus will slay at his return. And if we assume a pre-tribulation rapture, the mysteriously absent Daniel is like the church, not even present for this time of great tribulation. Go on to verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies, that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. So, once again, we see Nebuchadnezzar learning about God, right? He's learned, he's learned that... He's the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's learned that he's a God that sends help, that sent his angel. He's, he's learned that he's the deliverer of those that trust in him. All things that Nebuchadnezzar has learned about God. Does he know God? Once again, come back next week. Um, the word blessed here, translated from the Aramaic word Barak, which literally means to kneel and bless. Isn't that kind of cool? Whereas the king had previously insisted that others bow or kneel to his image, now Nebuchadnezzar was using a similar word in application to God. Well, okay, never mind, don't bow to that, bow to God. Verse 29, therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language should speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there's no other God that can deliver after this sort. Pretty sure Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were like, hey, whoa, 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 it's okay. Like, we just, you know, chill a little bit. We don't, we don't, you know, it's okay. They can do their thing. Verse 30, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So after all that, and it, they ended up better off, better off. They ended up better than they, than they started. God had turned this for their good. They had turned their trial into a triumph. Alright, so in summary, Daniel chapter 3 points to the end times. I think we went through that pretty clearly. We can read about the Antichrist and his image, his religion to unite the world in Revelation. We have to be ready and prepared. We have to make up our minds to be submitted to the power and the will of God. Eventually, we all, more and more, we all will be put on the spot about what our values and beliefs hold, that we hold, right? Does everybody believe that? Yes. We are called to obey the law of man. Human nature is to rebel. It only feels good, guys, sorry, it may feel good to fight against taxes, mask mandates. Ooh, all right. I could name a few more things or stop right there. Oh, the governor's executive orders. That's a good one. It feels good to rebel against that stuff, right? The only biblical precedent that we have for civil disobedience that we can find in the Bible is when they're asked to bow or pledge their allegiance to a false god, Daniel chapter 3, or when we are commanded to stop teaching and preaching the gospel like an ex. It's the only two times. The only two times that we find civil disobedience is okay. Any other reason for rebellion should be carefully weighed against the scriptures. After all, we are fallen man, and our hearts are naturally rebellious towards authority. I know I am. That's my mom. After, and we, as Christians, are not called to be rebellious, but to lead a quiet life, as the Apostle Paul preaches. Next, but our true authority is to the Lord. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not even feel like they had to tell, give the king a good reason. They didn't even have to tell him when it came, when his command came against the Lord's. We ought to obey God rather than men. Next, we had to get our minds made up. I've hit this quite a few times tonight. We can take a lot of decision makings out of our lives. Choose ye this day who you will serve. Brother Gamad, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We must have faith to look the king in the eye and say, but if not. It's my favorite verse in this whole chapter. Our lives are the Lord's. He has infinite wisdom and knowledge and is the only one that knows what's best for us. Do I know what's best for me? Nope. If we are kingdom-minded and not living for this earth but for our true home, we will be able to stand before death and say, but if not, even if God kills me, I'm going to live for him. I'm going to trust him. We will walk through fire, but we are not alone. To live is to lose. If you live long enough, you will endure suffering, pain, and loss. It happens to everybody. If you're not going through it now, be thankful. Don't take it for granted. I'm thankful to, to know that I have a God that's with me. And that I can hold on to His promises. And lastly, God will turn it for our good. Did he turn it for good for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They, were, they got promoted after all that. I bet the guys that tied their shoe, I bet they were, they were like, man, could he got a promotion? God can turn on trials for our good. I can't tell you how many things I look back on and it was just, I have three things in my life. I'm not going to go into that. Three specific times in my life that were the worst times in my life. Three. I know exactly what they were. And I can tell you exactly how God turned every one of those for my good. And I'm thankful for it. You're thankful for the trial, right? Yes. We can be. And we can come out not even smelling like smoke. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day, God. Thank you for this message. Thank you for, for, for giving this message to me, God. And to you be all the glory, Lord. We want to make our minds up, God. We want to be submitted totally and fully to your word, God. Thank you for the trials, Lord. We want to be saved by faith, God, by grace through faith. Thank you so much for all you've done for us. We know that you're going to turn it for our good, and we're going to trust, even if we have to say, but if not, and trust in you. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.